0: Hello and welcome. This is a podcast of Ukraine World, an initiative aiming to explain Ukraine to international audiences. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm editor-in-chief of Ukraine World and we're continuing talking about the important issues of Ukrainian politics and society. I'm glad to uh, have here with me Danilo Lubkivsky, who is a who was a deputy minister for foreign affairs uh, a few years ago and now an independent expert on foreign
1: issues. Danilo, good afternoon. Thank you, Volodya. And good afternoon. And thank you for having me. Here.
0: Thanks. Uh, thanks a lot for coming. We're talking about security issues that Ukraine will be facing, is facing now, but uh, will be facing in 2019. We know that 2019 is a year of election, both presidential and parliamentary. Danilo, what,
1: what do you think, what are the major security challenges Ukraine will face? Um, I believe that we are heading into the year of um, many challenges. Um, some experts and some senior officials uh, already called that year a year of disarray, of unrest, and certainly that uh, to analyze or somehow to highlight the major trends and risks and challenges of the forthcoming year, uh, we should distinguish some parts of that related to Ukraine. Uh, I mean, the domestic issues and the global issues uh, since Ukraine is deeply rooted, d- deeply rooted and deeply interconnected with uh, different, interesting and difficult developments that we face right now in Europe and globally. Let, let me talk about domestic issues. As we are facing the election, do you think that Ukraine
0: is risking turning into some kind of chaotic forces uh, or maybe organized forces trying to destabilize Ukraine from within?
1: Uh, I believe that we should uh, think about some kind of uh, priorities while speaking about the challenges we uh, face right now and we are going to face in the future. Uh, certainly, if we speak about those uh, key uh, threats against Ukraine, we should uh, start from uh, the threat and aggression which comes to Ukraine from Russia and uh, and the Russia's war uh, waged against Ukraine. Uh, I believe that the recent escalation that we faced in Azov and Kerch Strait, uh, certainly the huge amount of the Russian troops uh, around Ukraine's border. All these elements testify to to the fact that Russia's and President Putin's strategy against Ukraine uh, wasn't changed and he still remains on his offensive track. But if we speak about some kind of further implications upon Ukraine, I would, um, and I believe that a lot of experts in that sphere would say that uh, our that primarily we, will, we are going to face an attempt of President Putin and his regime to reestablish the political control upon Ukraine. Uh, Moscow has a number of channel, channels to do that. Among them, let me mention the presidential elections and what is even more important, the parliamentary campaign of 2019.
0: Why do you think parliamentary election is more
1: important than presidential? um the importance of that um, uh, of that process of the elections of Ukraine's uh, Rada is even more important since we are going to have the counterbalance of any presidential institution so this is this the system of checks and balances Secondly, let me remind that we live as in what they call parliamentary-presidential country. So there is a huge, uh, important role which Ukraine's parliament is to play and is playing right now, despite many negative, I would say, uh, comments and despite different negative, criti- criti- and negative criticism against uh, the current uh, Ukraine's uh, rather. Uh, I, be- I belong to those who believe that this parliament is, paradoxically, is one of the best in Ukraine's history. Can
0: we, can we pre- predict that the next parliament can be worse dep- uh, when we look on the public opinion service? For example, it can be more fragmented, uh, less pro-Western? What do you think?
1: That's an interesting question. Uh, Ukraine is a part of those processes that we face right now in Europe. So Ukraine is part of that of the of the protest that uh, is manifested by the populist forces uh, or radical forces that uh, since they belong to the same division between different groups of uh, uh, population between those who believe in the open civil society and those who believe in some closed uh, societies within the country. Uh, between those who believe in some kind of uh, new technologies and, uh, I would say, progressive way of thinking and those who believe that that, uh, we should stick to the traditional values that protect us against the the, um, aliens and uh, other cultures or any threats, unknown threats, that may come from the globalized world. So Ukraine is a part of that process and certainly being within that process, but what is even more important, being under constant threat which comes uh, from Russia, being under threat of uh, permanent Russians, uh, imminent Russians aggression. Uh, being under the pressure of the Russian information propaganda, which we felt from the very beginning, and uh, certainly that uh, Russia traditionally has a lot of influence upon the Ukrainian um, minds and Ukrainian society. So in these terms, if we look at uh, some trends that may lead us to the forthcoming elections, certainly we, we may suggest that there would be a huge risk of populists and uh, uh, those who are the opponents of the current uh, course of uh, Ukraine's government uh, may succeed in their attempt to convince the Ukrainians that something is, is going wrong.
0: When you talk about populists, you are talking mainly about pro Russian populists or you are talking about also anti Russian
1: populists? Not necessarily, and that's a good question. That's that. That's uh, that's the question that I believe uh, should be discussed closely. Um, if we look at the strategic choices of the Ukrainians, and this is uh, this is a, an interesting picture and landscape that we see right now in Ukraine, we would immediately see that the the huge majority of Ukrainians they strongly stand for I would say European democratic values. Ukrainians. Uh, perceive Ukraine as part of the European civilizations. Uh, civilization, Ukraine, Ukrainians think that the rule of law, uh, their democratic values, their values and the principles of open society should prevail in Ukraine. Uh, so, Ukrainians, in their in their majority, their vast majority, they strongly stand for Ukraine's membership within NATO and the European Union. So, and this is an interesting, I would say, shift in Ukraine's, uh, I would say, performance since 1991. The European choice of Ukraine is a real fact of real politics within Ukraine. No, no one in mind can contradict openly to that choice. But there is a paradoxical feature of what how Ukrainians then look at the processes <clears throat> And practicalities uh, of how to bring that European choice into the reality. Being convinced in those strategic choices, Ukrainians, on the other hand, are eager to trust anyone who may suggest them the most the easiest way how to reach that goal. So if someone may say that that goal of the European integration could be achieved by simple steps. That don't need any kind of responsibility upon the Ukrainian society. A lot of Ukrainians may feel, um, I would say, a temptation to trust those who suggest those simplicissimus those simple, simple methods of reaching difficult and complex goal, goals.
0: But look, populists are flourishing everywhere, That's and uh, Ukraine is not not an exception here. Uh, so I fully agree that we are in the same line, probably with the European countries. But in what aspect, uh, populism in Ukraine is a security threat?
1: The only an immediate que- immediate answer to that question is the war. There is a number of uh, um, conditions and uh, of, uh, reasons why. Ukraine has not that luxury of taking simple uh, decisions right now, since the Europe's, uh, not only Ukraine's, but Europe's security depends on how Ukraine would perform. Ukraine is a key, not only to some kind of, I would say, wishful way of thinking that we may transform Russia in some, you know, uh, far future, uh, getting them into some democratic way of development. And Ukraine, in this sense, is a key to that democratic, um, uh, never seen before, but uh, uh, really wanted Russia. But Ukraine, on another hand, is a key to Europe's future and security. Without Ukraine, um, Europe would certainly not only feel a um, lack of having this important part of culture and uh, uh, security and e- e- economy and so on but Europe would have uh, I would say a black hole of uncertainty and unrest that may come from this part of Europe since Russia would invest everything they can into a number of things how to protect themselves and how to attack and to regain their spheres of influence for that reason the choice of ukrainians matters I would say that we have we would we are going to have two the two most important choices next year: uh, the Ukrainian elections and the elections of the European Parliament in May 2019. So, uh, f- from my perspective, I believe that these uh, developments, if not interlinked, but uh, interdependent. Um, but, but you,
0: we were talking about election. you, you, you told me that. This can be a part of Putin's strategy. It's probably not full-scale military invasion, but rather taking control of Ukraine through election. How, how would you say what results would mean that he succeeds? For example, imagine that some people like Timoshenko become president, or that uh, her first wins the parliamentary election, or the parliament pal, Parliament next parliament is too fragmented. What is the worst scenario
1: for you? Um, The worst scenario, I I mean, the most negative scenario that can be predicted right now, certainly because we, I believe that we may face a number of, uh, as they call, black swans. So unpredicted elements and uh, events that may fundamentally change the landscape of the political campaign in Ukraine, both uh, during the presidential elections and then parliamentary. Um, From my perspective and in my opinion, I believe that the most negative scenario is to receive uh, the reality when all three branches of power in Ukraine are weak. Um, The weak president as an institution would certainly uh, be a target for those political campaigners that will try to gain a majority within New Rada. Both populist of, I would say, um, right wing, the populist of the leftist uh, p- way of thinking, uh, the the radicals, and also pro-Russian forces, uh, mostly from the so the from the so-called uh, incumbent opposition bloc. So f- the weak president would become even weaker after the parliamentary campaign. Uh, Certainly, the person who would be elected uh, uh, the president of Ukraine would try to uh, regain its own power within the next Rada since, as uh, we remember, Ukraine's Rada is going to elect uh, a new government and to elect a new prime minister. So for that reason, uh, there would be a difficult, dangerous, risky campaign which may produce and bring about a lot of neg- negative criticism against everyone so that would be it may happen to 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 look as one of the most dirty uh, campaigns in Ukraine's history. It, it won't contribute to Ukraine's security, and I would say even 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 if we do not speak about the security, let's speak about the popular confidence in our perspective. And that's that's one of the most risky things, since if people are not con- are not confident in what they believe in certainly they will immediately uh, rush into the hands of those who will try to give them those simple answers as i mentioned before but then if we are going to have a the fragmented uh, rather, with for instance a dozen of factions that went out from the you know from the battle of their political campaign it would be a difficult process of establishing any kind of agreement and unity within such a ki- such kind of parliament. Then, if such type of unity and um, mutual understanding arrives, then there would be the next question: how they w- how they are going to establish the next cabinet, and how that cabinet would act, since that cabinet would certainly be. Uh, a result of difficult compromises undermined by the lack of trust in general, this ty- this kind of picture looks for me as the most negative, undesirable, dangerous scenario that we have to avoid
0: Well continuing on this, uh, would you agree with my statement? which i try to express now is that ukraine is now much less consolidated than for example 2014 and that uh, we face a situation when uh, all the major groups for example pro-maidan group and anti-maidan group uh, are getting more fragmented both from uh, we have fragmentation from in the pro-western um, uh, pro-western forces but also in pro-Russian forces. I mean, we will have probably five candidates from pro-Russian forces on this presidential election. Is this probably something that Russia could use? Because remember uh, that Russia attacked Ukraine when practically Ukraine had no
1: power, no authority in 2014. Uh, Certainly you are right. Um, That I believe that we have not yet finished the dark times, and uh, the the uncertainty of the future that we enter certainly makes uh, us, I would say, less confident in the in 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 those uh, basic and the most important things that we experienced in two thousand and fourteen, namely the unity of the Ukrainian nation in protecting uh, for the country. But let me say that. I'm not so pessimistic about the future that we also look at. Um, I believe that we have a number of uh, dangerous trends. Uh, we, started from, we started our discussion from mentioning uh, the populist uh, risks and challenges. We also f- uh, should mention that we live in, in, the, in the times of, I would say, virtual reality. Let me mention that, for instance, one of Ukraine's candidates—I mean, frontrunners—even uh, is not a politician. Even I mean, uh, not He's in sense that comedian. he has—not even, even a sense that he is an artist, but also in a sense that there is no such kind of political party or not such kind of political program or any kind of—I um, uh, would say—team. Of professionals, of executives, of uh, um, those who has any kind of experience of taking difficult decisions. I mean the, Zelensky, Yes, yeah, right? certainly, of course, I mean Zelensky, but not only Zelensky. There are um, some other names that, from my perspective, are unknown and unclear in what they wish and desire, because we actually, during this political campaign, we even uh, have not yet heard any kind of serious debate upon the the basic fundamental issues of how Ukraine should be developed. Everything what we hear is almost uh, the slogans and some kind of declarations that appeal to the emotions and some kind of big ideas that people may share. But uh, this is absolutely far from having a professional talk on what Ukraine has achieved. Since 2014, and what should be done then if you you are going to have the power? So there there is a virtual reality that people are eager to love and to perceive and to and to take and to grant, since they believe that this kind of a picture may help them in facing uh, uh, the different uh, difficulties before them. But this type of I would say. Uh, behavior or this type this kind of uh, of uh development is not a unique for ukraine only since the same i would say shifts of mind the same uh, searches uh, for disappointments and some kind of wishful thinking we may uh, witness in other european nations in other european countries and in the united states uh, so we enter the times of virtual reality, which is of a global, I would say, scope. And for, and for that, um, let's see how f- f- globally uh, the world may get out from the mess and disarray we enter. You know. But
0: okay, but virtual reality is an important thing. You mentioned first that you are not that pessimistic, and I would like to come back to some things that we can we can talk about the I'm not I'm not that's what are the sources of optimism because I think we we should both criticize what is going on and 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 see some negative trends but also positive trends but let me ask you are you're we're talking about security right and uh, you're talking about virtual things but there are real things material things the military uh, threat which which exists and let me come back uh, to the major security debate right now, is that the martial Law introduced by President Poroshenko after the Kerch incident, it was very much criticized both inside Ukraine and abroad. Uh, and the argument is that uh, it was a political move by, by Poroshenko to uh, also maybe to reschedule election or to take more power uh, what is your estimation? Is it only political move, or is there any military concern, military argument?
1: Every step, which is to be taken by the president, uh, by the institution of the, of, uh, by the, by the, I would say, the political party that repre- that which is is represented by, by the president of Ukraine or any president, is of political nature. This is the nature of his decisions, his or her decisions, and this is the nature of his analysis of what may happen. But certainly, if we speak uh, precisely about the martial law which was entered into force in Ukraine, first, I believe that that was a reasonable step since we live under a constant threat of Russia, and I believe that there was a number of... Uh, realities and reasons that prove that President Poroshenko was right, suggesting this type of decision. Then, uh, as I let me remind that his his initiative was then supported by the Security Council of Ukraine and then was sub- supported by Ukraine's Parliament. Uh, Let's look at the facts, what, what happened in the end. In the end, after a long and difficult debate, not very pleasant for the president, but nevertheless, that debate happened. Uh, f- the decision was, uh, I would say, improved in some sense. And the decision was to have the martial law uh, enacted for uh, 30 days only. And in a separate re- in, in, and in the in the in a chain of separate regions of Ukraine, uh, neighboring with uh, Russia, I believe that if uh, it helped the Ukrainian institutions to check their ability to react to, I will say, imminent threat uh, that comes from Russia. So do so- I understand
0: you correctly that the practical benefit from martial law is to understand? How public institutions can mobilize the resources in case there is a uh, I, there is a military aggression
1: certainly that uh, I would uh, need some more information on on the practicalities that the presidential administration or our security forces received from the end from the martial law, but uh, Uh, What I see from from the news, what I see from other sources, certainly that I agree that uh, that decision helped to raise the awareness of the the Russia's threat, which is there, never disappeared, still remains, and may be enacted at any time. Then, certainly, that's a good test for the forces to react if there is a need or uh, any real uh, risk. Thirdly, that the developments in Kerch Strait unprovoked that could not be foreseen unpredicted unpredictable at the at the at the moment of that real threat. Certainly, that they raise the necessities to counteract to counter uh, act, mm, uh, and deter the, the Russia's uh, attempts uh, to influence the developments in Ukraine. And certainly, another element of what is, was done and uh, what is important for Ukraine, to raise the global awareness of uh, uh, the war, which at some, t- at some periods uh, looks forgotten, Not only in some global dimension, but also uh, even even in Europe. So, I believe both politically, practically, I mean in military terms, um, in terms of deter the Russian propaganda, that decision was right. And another positive mark of that decision was that that decision didn't overlap with the terms of Ukraine's uh, presidential uh, campaign and uh, further uh, f- with, the, with the elections, uh, f- uh, not giving any grounds to say that there is attempt on behalf of Ukraine's president to somehow to undermine the legitimate process of electing a new um, head of state.
0: When you meet, for example, Western security experts or politicians dealing with security issues or officials dealing with security issues, what do you think they understand and what do you think they still do not understand in terms of Ukraine, in terms of Russian involvement, in terms of Russia goals, etc.?
1: That's, I would say, uh, that's a difficult question since, you know, it, uh, I would then need to somehow in the, to distinguish different uh, experts and partners with, uh, that we uh, discuss the, the, the developments in Ukraine. But in general, what we certainly see, in general, our partners do recognize that Ukraine has already become stronger. And uh, has necessary capabilities to counter, um, uh, to deter the Russian uh, offensive and to compete with the enormous strength of the Russian, Russia's military. I believe that uh, that's a progress number one that Ukraine achieved, has achieved since 2014. And this progress is recognized uh, by uh, the experts who are, deeply understand where Ukraine was and where Ukraine finds itself right now. Secondly, that um, a lot has been done to ensure the economic stability in Ukraine. I'm certainly that here I mentioned the macroeconomic stability and every step which was done by Ukraine's cabinet since 2014 to, uh, first of all, to avoid a real risk of having uh, a default in Ukraine and losing Ukraine's uh, financial credibility and sustainability. That was one of the most dangerous challenges that we faced in 2014 and then in 2015. So due to the steps that were done by Ukraine's cabinet, Ukraine's government, we avoided that uh, absolutely Dangerous and uh, dead end of any attempt to reform Ukraine. A lot of institutions were established in Ukraine that may help our further progress. So there is uh, a chain of many important progressive steps done in Ukraine that helped, and that, in my perspective, from my perspective, in my opinion, um, strongly contributed to how Ukraine uh, was changed and how the landscape in Ukraine was changed. I mean, in practical, in practical terms. So this understanding, and the, uh, that was one of the most pleasant. I was, I would say, surprises that. I uh, uh, usually f- uh, meet while uh, talking to our partners that I do understand that many of our good friends and many of our, or even critics, they recognize the real fact of real changes and accomplishments in Ukraine. That's point number one, as, in, as I mentioned, in different spheres, from military to political sphere and to the macroeconomic stabilization and, and other things. Uh, secondly, what I do understand that... Ukraine, and I wouldn't say that this is because Ukraine did something wrong, but I believe that this is the usual way how the international relations develop, develop. Uh, that Ukraine was somehow abandoned since new conflicts and new troubles appeared uh, on the agenda of the international community. And certainly that uh, uh, during these four years of Enormous developments globally. Certainly, that the Ukrainian issue was somehow, you know, for, uh, wo- was overshadowed by um, uh, other difficult uh, realities uh, that uh, the planet faced, both in in in, in Americas, in Europe, uh, in the Middle East and Near East. So this is another another reality that we should. Remember, we Ukrainians should remember that our issue um, wouldn't be a top priority for the global community forever. For that it means that we should redouble our efforts how to ensure our own security and how to ensure our institutions since this is upon us to face that challenge while appealing to our partners to help us. That's true. But nevertheless, this is upon us. This is our responsibility, how to move ahead and how to ensure the, the stability of that, in, of these institutions. And those friends and experts with, uh, that you mentioned, they also recognize the fact that uh, this shift in Ukraine's political psychology is also important, that Ukraine perfectly understands how many important things should be done more if there is some kind of sane and mature uh, thinking of the political establishment unless the populists come into power and then and then that would be uh, if another trouble that we are going to to face but i believe that we would be that we would then open another page in our in our story but, but when i said about the, the uh, being not too pessimistic about the future because i i you know naturally i belong to the camp of the optimists
0: But let, let me come back to uh, these things a bit later because my question was what international community understands and what it probably misunderstands and uh, my impression is that there is a tendency to look at the situation of the post-soviet areas like separate things for example there is transnistria there is georgia there is nagorno-karabakh there is uh, crimea and donbass and uh, there is a tendency by international community sometimes to look uh, to, to to find more differences than similarities in this And these things and maybe to underestimate the fact that if Russia attacks, if Russia seizes some kind of territory, it never gives back. We we didn't see any example, even if in Georgia there were pro-Russian politicians or in Azerbaijan there were pro-Russian politicians or in Moldova, it never given back the territories it seized. Do, do you, can, can we talk about some global challenges or some s- the same security tactics Russia uh, Russia's is using?
1: I agree. I believe that you are right. Uh, and another proof of this separate, I would say, consideration of, of different uh, elements that have a common under, undercurrent, which is Russia and Russia's aggression, can be easily found, uh, found in Ukraine. For instance, if you look at the peaceful settlement, we would certainly see the attempt to divide Ukraine's problems into different baskets. And someone may say that... You mean Donbass and Crimea? I mean, I, I mean the Minsk process. Which doesn't speak about Donbass. Oh,
0: about Crimea.
1: Yeah. And certainly I speak about, I, I'm here I mean uh, the Minsk process, which addresses the Donbas issues in the uh, whole complexity of the situation over there. Then separately we have a number of historic, historical, important, uh, crucial declarations related to Donbas and the package of sanctions, but this is a completely another basket which is not even interlinked with the issue of Donbas. Then we have the another developments in Azov and catch Strait, and uh, f- 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 another, I would say, uh, development that uh, uh, is not somehow mm, uh, the f- in the hands of the international community receive any kind of linkage. So this is the way how one may think would be easier to act and work with Russia and here i be, i also agree with you and that that here is a mistake since if we even if we may speak about some kind of practicalities important practicalities how to meet differ, di- different different uh difficulties and troubles in those in, in different various like Donbass and crimea or azov but nevertheless we should certainly have a common strategy how to meet the aggressive policies of Russia since they possess a general, generic, common threat to to the West. For instance, let me then mention the the challenge of the pipeline which is called the Nord Stream 2. How should we encourage the business interest of the aggressor on one hand and on another hand uh, somehow to punish him for uh, uh, for, uh, for evil actions in Ukraine or any other part of, uh, of the post-Soviet uh, space. So is this type of policy, I would say, will this type of policy bring us about some positive results if the aggressor is encouraged and then is limited by some, I would say, um, uh, sanctions or sanctioned regimes?
0: let me ask about minsk agreements uh, now uh, sanctions are linked to the minsk agreements do you think it's a it's a it's a good idea or maybe it would be a better idea to link sanctions to violation of international law because we we see that actions in azov uh, region they're not linked to minsk agreements they're not directly linked to the, uh, linked to donbas so there is no incentive for international community of going even absolutely with more
1: sanctions. true absolutely true i believe that the the, the reason why the sanctions were entered into force is not some kind of an agreement that which was violated by the but by the basic um, uh, rights of ukraine and international law and then Uh, We uh, let us uh, mention the Budapest Memorandum Memorandum, which was blatantly violated by Russia and uh, that once uh, uh, was a document that tried to ensure Ukraine's independence and security and uh, the internationally recognized borders. So for that, uh, I agree with you that the sanctioned regimes related to Russia should should be closely interlinked with the substance of the crime committed by uh, president putin re- putin regime, which is the occupation of Crimea. Then uh, the uh, uh, hostile actions against Ukraine in Donbas and the presence of their regular forces on Ukraine's ter- the temporarily occupied territories. And then their violent uh, actions in the uh, domestic uh, waters of Ukraine and uh, in Azov and Kerch Strait.
0: But would you agree with the statement that Minsk agreements is a deadlock? They're dead, they cannot be implemented. And if yes, because, I mean, I have an impression that everybody already believes they are dead, but nobody dares to declare it. And I, if it is true, what, what to do next? Because if, if if we declare that Minsk agreements are dead, then Russia says that it is not linked by any agreement.
1: I agree with the facts. And the facts tell us that there is no progress Um in any attempt to implement the Minsk agreements since Russia, it never even tried to do that. So the fighting is still there. The casualties are still there. The bomb shellings are still there. Uh, f- they still remain the heavy forces uh, close to the... Uh, to the division line on Ukraine's territory. So there is no progress on their side. There is no security. The security, the lack of security, the absence of security cannot allow any international or Ukrainian authorities uh, to ensure any kind of democratic process over there, which we may call the elections and so on. So the Minsk one signed by, uh, or I would say, agreed upon by, by uh, uh, President Putin, was never implemented because of the offensive that the the, the Kremlin regime uh, continues. For that reason, the real fact is that that type of agreement doesn't work. Certainly, that type of agreement helped Ukraine and the international community to come down the, the most dangerous developments that happened there in 2015. Uh, so f- uh, it helped uh, to, I would say, to stop the aggressor, to prevent him from entering into some wider uh, areas in Ukraine. But at the end, what we see right now, that these agreements, unfortunately, didn't bring the results that we all, together with our German and French partners, uh, you've, uh, aspired for. And unfortunately, it didn't give us a chance for real peace. But
0: if, if this is so, what to do? To pretend uh, everybody is implementing them, at least not to, uh, because it is also a de-escalation too. We stop the hot war, right? Or to search for some another peace format.
1: I believe that the international re- relations and the history of international re- relations remember uh, different difficult situations and the only way how to get out from any kind of dilemmas and uh, deadlocks of this type is, uh, is to talk, is to ensure additional pressure if the aggressor doesn't understand the necessity to um, uh, f- stick to the obligations. Not to encourage the aggressor by uh, certain types of business projects as, for instance, the Nord Stream 2. You can do it. Simply, you cannot do it. You cannot say that. Come on, let's settle and set up the agreement in Donbas and stop the bloodshed over there. And at the other hand, to suggest that let's have some kind of open business projects uh, for in Europe, uh, since they may bring additional practical benefits.
0: But that's this... the that's the reality of German politics, for example. Uh, the example of Angela Merkel, who is. Very much one of the key people who, basically, it seems to be turned the plates in order to show that it is Russia which is not implementing this. But at the same time, she supports Nord Stream too.
1: I will say that uh, for, uh, the chancellor played a crucial role how to calm down the tensions in Ukraine and how to protect the Ukraine's independence and security. And for that, we have this type of progress in Ukraine and. Uh, now, when she's uh, um, uh, basically at the final year of, of uh, uh, her chancellery in Germany, I believe that we, have, we owe her a lot and we have to pay tribute to Chancellor Merkel for everything that she did, not only for Ukraine's, but for the European security and future. But here, let us be uh, quite clear and strong about the, uh, uh, the ideas how to move ahead. Uh, you've been asking me what kind of maneuvers or, let me say, what kind of steps should be done if we want to bring a real peace to Ukraine and not only to Ukraine, but to the wider area of the Eastern, Central and Eastern Europe. And my answer is, first, the international uh, f- f- talks, since we have a number of instruments and to, to, to expose additional pressure upon the aggressor. We have to open a new window for, the, for 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 this type of international communication, and if Russia does not agree to this type of uh, talks, let us ensure that there are a number of steps and methods how to convince them that the price would be high and higher if they uh, avoid any kind of settlement for, not only for the Ukrainian issues, but any other issues, I mean security issues that uh, were uh, undermined uh, by uh, their offensive politics. Then
0: you, you mean new format of negotiations? What do you mean? Bringing Americans into the negotiations?
1: Certainly. I, b- I believe that from the very beginning that was a mistake that the United States uh, didn't participate in the process of, of settling, uh, settling the Russians. Uh, Do Russia's you think s-
0: Russians simply put a veto on American uh, participation?
1: I'm not sure that this is the, the real fact. From what I understand, the political composition of those talks was even more difficult than you mentioned by uh, by saying that Russia have tried to impose some veto upon the decision of the uh, those who of the decision makers in the process of bringing back peace to Ukraine. And I'm not quite sure that Russia is so strong that uh, it may veto. The uh, important political uh, process of uh, such magnitude as the solution, as bringing solution to the Ukrainian, uh, to the to the to the war uh, against Ukraine, but this is the art, the craft, and the substance of diplomacy: how to ensure the ways to bring or to open a new window of, of, of opportunities for the peace process if that process is in the deadlock. So here it would be, I would say, premature to mention some kind of con- concrete formats or ideas how to bring that about. But summing up and wrapping up of what I said before, I believe first in the, in, in the new chapter of the international talks, I believe in uh, single and clear um, unambiguous standards of actions that do not include any kind of business encouragement for, for the aggressor. So we should ensure that there is strong solidarity. I believe that uh, our answer is to strengthen the capabilities of Ukraine's army and military. And I would even suggest the Ukrainian politicians, even the populists, even those who believe that they may bring some kind of you know new agreements with the IMF and something of this type of thinking. Uh, I believe that they may commit to having the issue of the ukrainian security out from any kind of political uh, uh, populism that may endanger the the security of ukraine so we should we should produce a new type of political psychology and mentality here in ukraine i
0: yeah let me let me uh, come from the minsk agreement to, to crimea crimea issue is even more forgotten than the donbass war it seems to me But uh, we certainly see militarization of Crimea, we certainly see uh, attempts of Russia to make Crimea a kind of a new military base with its radius of action can be enormous, both Middle East, Europe, Uh, what is your impression, what is your estimation?
1: Before answering that interesting question, since I believe that this is one of the most difficult issues that we have in our agenda, let me say that if we speak about this, I mean, finishing, wrapping up of what I said before, uh, um, uh, I will try to explain why I'm not too pessimistic about those dark times that we are living in and we uh, we are going to, in my opinion, in some, some nearest future as well. Let me say that, uh, looking at the landscape in Europe, we may uh, we should recognize that, uh, despite the fact that there are many challenges uh, within the European and Euro-Atlantic politics, we certainly see the signs of new faces a new, I will say, sane and clear minds uh, in the the European political theatre. Among those new names, let me mention the newly elected leader of the Christian Democrat Union in Germany, AKK Nagret, a new leader who... who was quite strong about the perspectives of uh, of the so, so-called the North North, North Stream uh, Two pipeline, and that's a good sign. It's a sign of, I would say, of uh, uh, thinking that uh, uh, I believe tries to find an answer to what I said before, speaking about some single and un- unambiguous st- standards of action. Then. Let's look at the forthcoming, upcoming elections in the European Parliament. And among them, uh, uh, let me remind that uh, recently, just a month ago, in Helsinki, the European People's Party elected uh, their candidates uh, who may uh, may compete uh, uh, and run for the office of the president of the European Commission, Manfred uh, Weber, uh, um, uh, a person who was quite vocal strong, clear about the, uh, uh, any attempts to appease the Russia's aggra- uh, for, uh, aggression. Let me also bring your attention to another sign of uh, uh, clear and sane mind uh, of christia Freeland, one of the most, I would say, Charismatic leaders of the West, the Foreign Minister of Canada, who is uh, quite strong about the united uh, um, uh, reaction of of the world uh, against the the Russia's offensive. So we have a number of new faces in the uh, in the global landscape, on the global landscape, and in Europe as well. That, uh, in my opinion, give us uh, 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 together, they, they give us a, a message of uh, another more optimistic reality than the extravaganza of those comedians and uh, actors who may somehow pretend that they c- understand how to settle the complex problems of nowadays. But, but you m- can
0: have a different interpretation of it. Uh, and interpretation could say that this is because the mainstream parties are getting more serious, more sober with regard to Russia, and they become more strong. It doesn't mean that populists are not are weaker. We, we see that populists can be even stronger. But let me come back. We, we, are, we, we will be talking about some of this. I mean, the light in the end of tunnel in the uh, last question. But let me briefly discuss Crimea. Do yes, you think exactly. it, is, it, it is a security threat?
1: Is it a security threat? Yeah. Certainly it is. If we face that enormous amount of the Russian weaponry in Crimea, on the peninsula, if we see the violent actions of Russia in Azov, in, in and uh, who may exclude that, in the Black Sea, certainly this is an enormous threat not only to Ukraine, but this is an enormous threat to other Black Sea nations, including Turkey, including Bulgaria and others. So, for that, I believe that Ukraine should explore as many international fora to ensure the, to ensure the solidarity of every actors involved as possible. I believe that Ukraine Building upon what was done before and elaborating a plan of further actions, Ukraine first should demand that uh, our partners who signed the Budapest memorandum act together within that, the format and and the political consultations of that format uh, act together uh, uh, on Common, uh, and uh, uh, for, or I would say, joint strategy of actions ag- against the Russia's uh, against Russia's aggression. Then, uh, uh, we should be persistent in bringing the problems of Donbas and Crimea to a new, I would say, international format of talks that may impose additional pressure upon the aggressor and looking forward to new ways how to settle the, the problem. We should we should be, I mean Ukrainians should be quite clear that the issues of Donbass and Crimea cannot be divided into different baskets. So the problem of Russia's aggression of Russia's aggression against Ukraine is a problem of one single undercurrent. This is the problem of Russia's strategy that aims at imposing additional political control upon Ukraine and upon not only Ukraine, but far beyond upon Europe, Central Eastern Europe, reestablishing the spheres of influence. And then we should pay additional attention to the frozen conflicts that were uh, fueled by Russia's offensive close to our region, and then we should bring additional attention to the Black Sea region if uh, uh, strengthening the solidarity of other countries here, appealing to our partners within the uh, North, uh, North Atlantic Alliance, uh, of demanding additional security measures how to deter the Russia's offensive if they go in the black sea or uh, that area
0: and the last question the light in the tunnel what is it for you
1: individuals i believe every sane mind is a light in the tunnel i believe that uh, um, there was an interesting i mean if uh, if I'm, i'm i'm happy to announce here i don't know if i have a right to do that but nevertheless i'm trying i will i will do that I believe that the editors will will uh, then excuse me if I am wrong, but uh, we are going to to publish the famous book written by Richard Haass, the president of the Council of Foreign Relations, in Ukrainian. His famous recent, the most recent, his book uh, called "The World in Disarray." It's one of the most brilliant intellectual attempts to somehow to wrap up what's going on in this crazy, crazy world and uh, what may be later and how to you know how to how how to understand to com- to, to comprehend uh, the developments globally and regionally and in some part of that book he mentions he quotes an interesting I would say consideration of the, uh, uh, of, 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 I would say, of the human history. That, you, that human's history is always a conflict between the chaos and an attempt to establish some kind of predictable world order. And the face, the map of the world, is always dependent on what type of forces win. So that's this is the the challenge and the problem I I believe that goes along the humankind for centuries. Right now we face another episode of that difficult battle between the chaos and the world order. If we try to enlarge the amounts of sane and clear minds who may unite to protect our future against the threats of local nationalism, local political egoism, local political stupidity somehow and sometimes. But trying to say that uh, we should fight together for the values that prove that we deserve a better life, I believe that this is a light in in eternal. Sorry for being so, I would say, abstract in answering that question, but this is what I really believe in.
0: Thank you very much for this conversation, Danilo Lubkivsky, former Deputy Foreign Minister of Ukraine. We have been talking for an hour almost about uh, security challenges faced by Ukraine in the next year. This is Ukraine World Podcast. Follow us on ukraineworld.org. Thank you very much. Thank you.